and welcome to our Faith and Philanthropy podcast series, where we are exploring what philanthropy and purpose means from a Muslim perspective. My name is Safiya Dandia, and I am part of the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team at UBS. We speak about faith because in working closely with our clients and their families, we recognize the important role that faith plays for many in shaping values, identifying needs, and helping others. It's oftentimes central to why people give and how they give. To further explore this topic with us today, I'm delighted to introduce Dr. Sharik Siddiqui, who is the director of the Muslim Philanthropy Initiative and an assistant professor of philanthropic studies at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. Dr. Sharik, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we dive in and explore some of the incredible work that you do, my first question that I'd love for you to share with our listeners is, what is your favorite and most cherished part of Ramadan? My favorite part of Ramadan is community and goodness. Um, I, I always think about Ramadan as being a steroid for goodness, and I love the amazing ways people find to sort of do good things and to be better. And I I just see people being, you know, in my daily interactions with individuals, uh, I just feel that people just are uh, are trying to be better. And uh, and I, I just love that aspect of Ramadan. Absolutely. I, I love asking that question because Ramadan can be a very different experience for each individual, despite it being, you know, one of the most collective community-like experiences of all. Uh, my favorite part is, is that sense of family togetherness, coming together to share in this experience of breaking fast together, praying together, strengthening our spirituality together. But you're absolutely right. There is this aspect of trying to better yourself, and that resonates so strongly as well. Thanks for sharing that. You've been developing your expertise in this space for quite some time now, which is really remarkable. Could you explain why you got involved in this type of work, researching Muslim philanthropy in the Muslim nonprofit sector, and what you're able to accomplish in your unique role at the Lilly School of Philanthropy in regards to faith and philanthropy? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I initially started in working on philanthropy because I felt our understanding of philanthropy today is too narrow. It's really about the few, the very wealthy. And I felt that that definition could be expanded. And so I started out, um, you know, doing research and working on philanthropy more broadly. Um, later on, when I became a Muslim, I decided that definitions within Islam provide a very broad canvas to, for us to understand philanthropy as well. And so my research has been about how to make, bring about more inclusivity when it comes to thinking about philanthropy and charity. And, and in Islam, there's a number of different ways in which you can accomplish that. Um, and so the cool thing about Muslim philanthropy or the definitions of Muslim philanthropy are that you can engage 1.6 billion or 6 billion people rather than just one, uh, you know, a small percentage of the population. And that's one of the things that just excites me about the work that we're doing. And, uh, and, 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 uh, 
so that that was the first thing that really um, was important to uh, to me and to to our work. But the second one was that there just isn't data, right? People uh, people make a lot of assumptions about Muslims, a lot of assumptions about Muslim Americans. Uh, but the reality is that most of these assumptions aren't based on fact or data. And the question is, how can we get that data? And so a big part of the work that we've been doing is sort of bringing that data to light, helping Muslims better understand who they are and what they can accomplish, but also to help other people that aren't Muslim to also understand um, you know, who Muslims truly are when it comes to their philanthropy and how they're making the world a better place, just like everybody else. Absolutely. There definitely is a need for that data. And as you mentioned, an objective of the Muslim Philanthropy Initiative is to further that research within this understudied area, which is becoming more and more important as Islam is the world's fastest growing major religion and Muslims make up roughly 25% of the global population, according to Pew Research. Could you share some of the insights and giving behaviors of Muslims from the recent research reports completed on Muslim giving in, in collaboration with Islamic Relief? Absolutely. So we did a nationwide survey of Muslim Americans as well as the general population. Um, and this survey... Uh, examined, uh, you know, why, you know, how much people gave to what they gave and what were the motivations of giving. And one of the things we learned was that Muslims Americans give an estimated $4.3 billion to charity in 2020, which is the first, you know, during the, just as the COVID pandemic was heading. Um, and interestingly enough, that while Muslim Americans represent only 1.1% of the population, um, and are generally, if you look at the Pew data, are less wealthier than the general population. They actually give more uh, into in philanthropy, give more uh, than, than the general population. And so this was an exciting finding, right, for a very small group of people, a very small minority, for them to be able to uh, be able to be uh, a really important, vibrant part of our charitable sector. But what was even more interesting was the general perception or misperception is that Muslims are, give most of their money outside of the United States. And this research showed that, in fact, 85% of all giving by Muslims are to causes within the United States, and the number one cause being domestic poverty relief. Um, and then we have uh, donations towards houses of worship. And so it's so there were some interesting differences. Muslims prioritize domestic poverty relief over houses of worship. Uh, Muslims uh, give less to houses of worship than any other faith community. Uh, Muslims are amongst the top givers, uh, along with Jews, to Jewish people, Jewish Americans, to civil rights causes. So what we found was that Muslim Americans, not only do they give more than the general population, but are largely focused on the United States. And from these findings, what was determined to be the largest motivator behind why Muslims give charitably? Sure. So the top three motivating factors all fall under the same kind of rubric. Uh, the number one was because they felt compassion for people that uh, needed help. Um, because pe the second cause was that because uh, people that have should give. 
Uh, and then the third one was that uh, people, uh, when there are people in need, it's our responsibility to give to them. So it all falls within that. But it was all around compassion, empathy, and the belief that they had people that have something have an obligation to share with others. Yeah, that's truly amazing. There's also an interesting aspect to this study that looked at how one's religious practice may influence or be related to the level of their charitable giving. And that connection was measured by factors like how often participants actively practice their religion outside of the obligatory charitable donation of the Goth, with things like keeping up with prayer and, and what the frequency of that looked like. The outcome to me is not very surprising because I think it's a beautiful concept that shows us the more connected one is to their faith, the more charitable they often are and the more they want to help others in need. Could you speak a little bit about that and the effect on giving from the report? Absolutely. So if you are, you know, if you are more religiously engaged in practice, you are more likely to give. And this isn't just true for Muslim Americans. This is based on broader research in amongst Americans uh, more broadly, right? So, the more the more religious you are, the more likely you are to give, and the more money you're likely to give. So th- that's one thing that we found that was interesting. The other piece of it, which is also interesting, is that when we think about research related to religious giving, right? Uh, if when you know you'll see these surveys and they'll say religion is thirty percent and so on, we wanted to go further and dive deeper because this idea that, okay, if you give to a house of worship, uh, it's religious giving, but then if you give to, say, a food kitchen or to a school or to a arts organization, that is somehow not religious giving. And we asked the question, um, what, 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 you know, what parts of their giving was motivated by faith? And w- the by and large, what we found is that regardless of whether people give to a religious cause, meaning a house of, a house of worship, or to other causes, they're largely influenced by their religion. So this, you know, so sometimes, you know, uh, we'll look at these studies and say, okay, uh, Americans' uh, interest of, of giving towards religion is declining. Um, but reality is what the studies should suggest is that it's just that their religious giving is diversifying, right? Over the past 30, 40 years ago, your church or mosque or synagogue were the, the places where you would give religious giving uh, to. But now, with more opportunities, whether it's social media, whether it's professionalized fundraising, uh, people are giving to giving religiously inspired gifts to a diverse group of causes. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I think that's that's great context into setting the scene of what Muslim philanthropy looks like in the U.S. Uh, what trends and research have you seen regarding Muslim philanthropy from a global perspective? Sure. So there's been some periodic studies that are there that have been undertaken. For example, 
Uh, over 20 years ago, there was some really great research on Pakistan. Uh, a few years ago, there was this really great study on Turkey. Uh, there's been, um, and we are now undertaking uh, some research studies in different parts of the Muslim world or Muslim majority countries where uh, we're going to replicate these surveys in those countries. But by and large, what we find, uh, and this is very distinct from the United States, right? Um, and I would argue this is largely distinct post 9-11. Um, in much, many of these studies that we have seen, uh, much of philanthropy is informal, meaning that people give to other people. Uh, they don't go through, give through institutions. Whereas in the United States, uh, you know, especially in our new study that we've, uh, that we've just, uh, are releasing this week, uh, we're finding that the vast majority of Muslim American giving is institutional. It's given to nonprofit organizations or a formal means. So one distinction that we'll see in much of the, of the studies that we've seen of Muslim majority countries is that giving is informal. And so, so that's one big distinction between, um, the way American Muslims give and uh, the way Muslims in other Muslim majority countries, uh, make it. Mm, that's interesting. And looking forward to seeing that research report that's planned to come out this week. So given the position that you do sit in and the research that you've been able to participate in, what do you think are the biggest challenges that Muslims face when navigating the world of charity and philanthropic giving? Some are shared challenges, right? Uh, uh, whether you're Muslim or not, you know, issues of um, having information, um, dealing with transparent organizations, um, having the ability to uh, sort of find ways in which you can determine uh, who and what and how you can sort of make those things. So those things are very common across uh, across. Uh, you know, human beings across the world. Muslims have a distinct challenge where they are, because of the public scrutiny on Muslims, because of Islamophobia, Muslims have this dual challenge. On the one side, they have to make the world a better place. That's one of the obligations of being a Muslim, is that you have to sort of leave the world better than it was. Um, but at the same time, you you also have this do, second obligation to to rehabilitate who you are. So the challenge for Muslims are uh, are you know left to their own devices without this public scrutiny. All of these resources that they have would be just focused on one idea, which is how do we make the world a better place? You know, if you think about Jewish uh, the Jewish community, they have this idea tikkun olam, right, where it's repairing the world. But Muslims have this extra sort of challenge of Islamophobia. Additional challenges globally, I think, is that Muslim American giving is largely being regulated across the world. And I think we're also seeing uh, actors like the United Nations and others that are creating zakat fund uh, programs uh, to fundraise. And this is unprecedented. I mean, you won't see, for example, a Catholic tithing program of the United Nations, or you won't see a program that's related to the Mormon Church. Uh, that you know, the United Nations has not established any other faith-based uh, funds. This is the only faith-based funds that they're establishing. So even within the United Nations, there is 
this belief that this zakat is a source of funding that they can engage with. And I would argue that it's largely because of the regulatory and unfair scrutiny that is being inflicted upon Muslims. And so uh, that's why it creates this market for uh, these great global actors to sort of engage with. So just some some concerning trends um, uh, along those lines. But the story of Muslims get Muslims themselves in the way that they give is beautiful. It's uh, and how they engage and how they are connected to the idea that they have a responsibility to make the world a better place and make their home and their community a better place is just beautiful to watch. Absolutely, I agree. What can listeners tuning in be mindful of going forward to help move the needle and further the progress and growth of Muslims being impactful and strategic with their philanthropy? Sure. So probably three important uh, things that we can all do to help uh, Muslims be more strategic in their giving. I think the first, of course, is to find ways to collaborate with Muslims um, and amongst Muslims in terms of causes that they want to achieve. Far too often, we want to do good and we spend our money to do good in that way, right? But if we can come together with other donors and sort of sort of amalgamate that uh, those funds and maybe sort of have more funds to be more transformative with our with our philanthropy. That's one. So I think trying to find giving circles, finding ways in which we can sort of come together and give together is one way I think that we can be uh, better about uh, be more strategic. I think the second area is that far too often, uh, unfortunately, the scientific philanthropy movement has pushed us more towards coming up with discernible impact, right? You know, what what is my return on investment? And I think that, unfortunately, that is leading us down the opposite track. We're moving away from being more strategic and more impactful, and we're just basically becoming bean counters. So what I would argue is go back to the traditional forms of philanthropy, which has been find an organization or a cause or a person that you trust, um, do your due diligence, and then give them the funds and let them make the world a better place, not through some formula, but allowing them to be innovative with your philanthropy so that they can find new ways of making the world a better place. Far too often, we are looking for the number of people fed versus maybe finding an innovative solution to solving the problem of hunger, right? And that doesn't happen through formulas. It only happens when you take a leap of faith. So I think that's the second uh, piece that I would uh, push people to, uh, to do. The third is we need to figure out a way to have a better understanding of what it means to have administrative overhead costs. Um, this, this has become a problematic uh, concept for strategic philanthropy because the reality is if you don't have an organization, you don't have an administrative staff, you don't have accounting people, you don't have people working for the cause, the impact of that organization is going to be limited. So I always consider administrative and overhead costs to be really impact dollars. When you invest in an organization, you invest in an infrastructure of the organiz- in an organization, 
you can have an organization that's going to have a huge impact. And so I would argue that these three things, these reframing of these three, uh, a reframing of how we think about philanthropy and how we practice philanthropy um, is important for us to become more strategic and more impactful. Thanks so much for that insight. I really appreciate you joining today and sharing some of your compelling work with our listeners. If you are interested in learning more about our Faith and Philanthropy Initiative, please reach out to your UBS financial advisor or our family advisory and philanthropy services team. And please be sure to tune in to next week's podcast as we continue to feature external speakers and discuss topics exploring philanthropy and purpose from a Muslim perspective. Thank you. The information in this discussion has been prepared by and reflects the opinions and various investment views of the speaker. UBS Financial Services, Inc. has not independently verified such information and does not guarantee its accuracy or completeness. This information is being provided to you for your information purposes only and does not constitute a recommendation or an endorsement by UBS Financial Services, Inc. of the author, the securities, or views stated herein. Any specific security Securities discussed should not be considered a recommendation or solicitation to buy or sell any particular security. You should not assume that any investment in any of the securities was or will be profitable. UBS Financial Services, Inc. or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned. UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, different in material ways. We are governed by different laws and separate arrangements it is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.